All right. Good morning, everybody. Glad to have you with us this morning. Some lively conversation. I assume most people got an extra hour of sleep last night. Hopefully you weren't here an hour early this morning. I think there are two, two kinds of people in the world when it comes to uh, fall back. There's people that get an extra hour of sleep, and then there's people that stay up an extra hour. And you can wonder and guess which one that I am. But I'll make it through this morning, hopefully. All right, we're going to be in chapter 15 of our class book this morning. That's on page 86. So we're going to, we're going to be based out of Exodus chapter 5 this morning. All right, and the question uh, for this class, depending on your translation, uh, is who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Um, that'll be in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Before we get into that, I do want to kind of uh, present you with some information and, and maybe pose a question as well. I'm not quite sure how readable that is, unfortunately, but I'll, I'll walk you through it so it's not, shouldn't be too difficult. Um, so you've probably heard before about these surveys that the different groups do about um, religion in America, about you know, how many uh, people claim to be Christian, how many people claim to be Jewish, how many people claim to be Muslim, uh, what their beliefs on God are, those who are not religious, and, and you get those um, statistics from time to time from people doing surveys. One that I want to uh, present this morning as part of this class is just the simple question of, of who is God, right? Who is the Lord? Um, and so this is one of many questions that was, uh, that was part of this survey, but the, the simple question was, do you believe in God or not? And so Roughly 80% of people said yes, roughly 20% of people said no. And then out of that 80% that said yes, I believe in God, um, roughly 23% said that I believe in some higher power or spiritual force. And then the remaining 56 said that they believe in God as described in the Bible. Now, on the no category, the 20% of people that said no, 9% out of that said that I do believe in some sort of spiritual force or higher power. So you get about 33% of people who believe in some sort of spirituality but don't believe in the God of the Bible. Okay? And that's not entirely surprising when you walk out in the world today. Um, if you talk to people and, and hear what they think, you're going to get a lot of interesting answers. Um, most of, or not most of the time, but oftentimes not congruent with what we understand of God and Scripture. So I wanted to kind of at least start off just kind of opening it up. Have, have you had any experiences interacting with people, friends, coworkers, family, who might have some unusual concepts of, of God or spirituality that might not be something that we see in Scripture? The earth? Oh, so like natural, yeah. natural spirituality. Okay, so the idea of, of believing that there are spirits in nature. 
Okay, and that would be a spirit in a tree or a spirit in a rock. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So the question being, who created God, might imply that there's some other being above God. Okay. Any others? Okay. Okay, so that, uh, that's probably Hinduism. It sounds like Hinduism. Yeah, yeah. Have millions, millions of different gods. Um, you, you'll see some religions that kind of incorporate the God of the Bible as part of their larger, you know, um, system of of belief. And we'll actually talk about that a little bit later too. Um, yeah. So, so there's not a, unfortunately, there's not a universal understanding uh, of the God of the Bible in the world today. Um, however, what we're going to talk about this morning is the fact that that was also true back then, right? That's, not, that's nothing different. This has been an issue for thousands of years of people not understanding uh, the God of Scripture, the God of the Bible. So let's turn over uh, in Exodus, if you aren't already there, Exodus chapter 5. I'm going to read just a few verses here to kind of get us set up, and then we'll do some background. All right, so I'm going to start actually in Exodus 4, verse uh, 28, and then we'll get to, to Exodus 5. So Exodus 4, verse 28, Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him, and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders and the son, uh, of the sons of Israel, and Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. He then performed the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed, and when they had heard the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, then they bowed low and worshipped. And afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice to let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. All right, so that's, that's our text this morning. That's our main text. Um, this situation where Aaron and, and Moses have gone to speak to Pharaoh, Pharaoh poses, poses this question, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Um, and this is kind of part of a broader uh, account, right, of Moses becoming this, representative of God to uh, the, the Israelites, but also, of course, to, um, to Pharaoh and part of this, this conversation and this interaction that we'll see play out over the next few chapters of trying to free uh, the Hebrew people out of Egypt. We see in chapter 3, originally, when God is speaking to Moses from the burning bush, he is charged with going to speak to Pharaoh, and he's charged with freeing the people. And we see over the course of chapter 3 and chapter 4, you know, Moses makes these excuses 
uh, I can't speak well, you know, why are, why are you choosing me? And so we see this conversation where God refutes his excuses and finally says, okay, Aaron will speak for you. And then that's when we get to chapter 5, where after they've returned, they go to speak to Pharaoh to pass along what God has said. And then we see the response from Pharaoh, which is not a positive one. So within this question that we're talking about this morning, I actually kind of see it as two questions in one. So we're going to spend a little time talking about both halves and then hopefully draw some application from there. So, sure. Yeah, you see this, and I guess I'll go ahead and, and, and jump on to the, the next slide. You see this in history where you have these rulers who um, uh, are, have this divine right or this divinity associated with them, not only in Egyptian um, culture, but you also see it uh, in, in Roman culture, right? Um, and also, Egyptians, Greeks, Romans, they had their own deities, right? They had their own gods, their own pantheons of gods. And so when Pharaoh is asking, who is the Lord? We need to make sure to understand from the perspective of the Pharaoh, right? That there are plenty of gods out there. There's Ra, there's Anubis, there's Osiris, you know, there's all these Egyptian gods. And then there's this association of, you know, perhaps I'm, I'm deity myself, or I'll, I will at least become it. Um, from his perspective, he's asking, based on all the gods I know about, who is your god, right? I've never heard of your god. He's not in our pantheon. And so I'm not familiar with your deity because we have our own. So, so notice then that the Pharaoh is asking out of ignorance. And he's asking from a place that is very different from where Moses and Aaron are speaking. Because he does not have that familiarity uh, with the God of Moses and the God of uh, the of Israel. Chris, yes. Uh, we were in Arizona a few years ago. Went to church there, and it was preacher had a fantastic lesson about pharaohs mm -hmm. and Moses. And what part I remember is he was speaking about God's the, the staff was a representation of. I've heard that before. I don't have that, unfortunately, prepared with me, but I have heard that before where um, the, the, the plagues and the presentation of Moses against Pharaoh, this, this kind of duel that we see over the coming chapters, is representative of the Egyptian religion and Egyptian culture. And so not only are the plagues coming down, but the plagues have an extra meaning, like this extra layer of meaning because of the religious connotation. Yeah. Mm, yeah. But you know these men that proclaimed themselves, they knew they were not. They knew they were men, but they had that power. Mm -hmm. And men can elevate themselves to that to think 
Yeah, oh, to be inside of the head of someone who's convinced themselves that they are deity, knowing where they came from, and what they think about when they go to bed at night. Um, And so that's, that's what Moses and Aaron are up against, right, is that sort of perspective, that culture, that religious background. In a way, it's kind of an example of, of what we call pluralism. Because um, I um, imagine, obviously, there are multiple gods in Egyptian culture. Um, you do see over history some interaction with other civilizations who have their own gods. And there's all this confusion there of, okay, no one knows in these circles, the one God, the true God, and so you just have everybody worshiping kind of their own pantheon of deities. And so, I think there's an interesting kind of cross-reference. If you don't, if you don't actually have this in your in your Bible, I think it'd be interesting to mark it down as part of this lesson, because we also see this in the New Testament. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's a. So that the God that you know about is really above and beyond all these other things you've been exposed to. Right, that's a good point. Is Moses has the challenge of not only convincing Pharaoh of the existence of God, but of convincing his own people of, of who God is because they've been there for a while, right? And they've been surrounded by all these Egyptian deities. And so showing God's power, acting in the real world, helps to confirm his existence and his superiority over these false Egyptian gods that they've been exposed to for so long. Yeah. If we go to Acts chapter 17, uh, the, the, our main um, uh, text will be verses 16 through 34. Um, this is Paul in Athens, right? And so it talks about in verse 16, his spirit was provoked. Why? Because the city was full of idols. In verse 23, 22 and 23, he stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe you are very religious in all, in, uh, all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Similar situation, different culture, different time period, but similar, similar problem, is the men of Athens did not know the true God. Now, the men of Athens had made allowances in case there was a God that they didn't know about, but they didn't know God. They knew of Zeus, and they knew of Hermes, and they knew of Athena, 
in Aries, but they didn't know of God. And so it's the same problem. And so I guess my point is this has always been an issue, right? Going back thousands of years, trying to pick the true God out of all of these cultures and all of these false deities that have arisen instead of God is difficult, especially for the people of God who are sitting in those cultures and trying to teach um, his, his word. So identifying God, that's the first issue here in this question. Who is God? Well, it's a question of identity because the Pharaoh doesn't know God. The second question, though, or the second part of the question is a question of obedience. So not only do I not know God, but I'm asking why should I obey God? On what basis of authority does your God um, command me to do anything, right? I am the Pharaoh of Egypt. So why should I listen to your God? Um, it, it illustrates this need for some sort of standard, some sort of standard of authority, some sort of standard of morality, um, because obviously Moses and Aaron, speaking to the Pharaoh, do not subscribe to the same spiritual authority. Otherwise, if they said, God told you to do this, Pharaoh would say, okay, I will do that. But he didn't. And so when he's asking, who is the Lord, there's more to that question, right? It's not only who is the Lord, but who is the Lord that I should obey his voice. So what qualities of your God, what right does your God have to tell me what to do as the Pharaoh of Egypt? Okay. So if we go uh, to John chapter 10. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Paul, Paul points this out, and of course, as we just mentioned, he had firsthand experience of these people that are putting their trust and their confidence and their behavior, their obedience, in natural things, in idols, in false deities, or in nature itself. Yes. Um, or, in some cases in themselves, right? In their own minds, in their own sense of morality, they steered themselves. They became gods unto themselves, right? Um, John 10, verses 27 and 28, I thought kind of played into this. And Jesus is speaking. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. This idea of knowing who Jesus is, right? My sheep know me, they know my voice, they follow me. So not only, not only do they know who I am, but because they know who I am, they follow me, right? They obey me. Their behavior is influenced by my commandments because they understand that I have authority, right? Speaking from Jesus' perspective. And so this illustrates this big problem in this passage. It's difficult to obey a God that you don't know, right? That's the problem that we see illustrated here with the Pharaoh, his perspective. I don't know God. Why should I obey God? Why does God matter? Why shouldn't I just obey my gods? What's the difference? Or why shouldn't I just do whatever I want to do? What is it about your God that I should change my behavior, 
that I should believe in what he says, that I should do what he wants me to do instead of doing what I want. Is this starting to sound familiar? Are we starting to see some similarities? Because that's the problem we face as well today, right? And, the, and again, I think I mentioned this in the, the first lesson I gave out of this book. This book, this lesson book, is full of Old Testament questions. But if we think about it and we study on it, we understand these Old Testament questions are still relevant today. They're still being asked today. The nature might be a little bit different. The context might be a little bit different. But the questions are still valid. People are still asking us, who is your God that I should listen to him? Who is your God that I should behave in a manner which he prescribes instead of what I want to do? And so who is God? This falls on us now to understand who is the God that we are teaching, that we're advocating for, that we're following, and that we're trying to show to other people. This is just a few examples of many, um, but just a few that I wanted to point out, specifically pertaining to this situation, the reasons that Pharaoh should have been understanding who God is. God is creator, right? Genesis 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, God is creator. Matthew eleven twenty seven, and in several other instances, especially in the gospel accounts, God is described as a father. Right? He is our father. Uh, in James, James chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews, James. 4 verse 12. It says, There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? God is described as a lawgiver or a lawmaker, right? Which is important, going back to the Pharaoh's question, because he is the one who gives down the laws, right? He is the one who gives down this standard of behavior. Um, God is described as king, 1 Timothy 1.17, he's described as king, and therefore, as being king, that connotation is someone who has authority, right? Someone who uh, gives commands, someone who is to be obeyed. So not only does he give the laws, but he also uh, commands the obedience to the laws. And then finally, uh, as was already mentioned in James, but also in 2 Timothy 4 verse 8, Second Timothy four verse eight. Uh, in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but all who have loved his appearing. God is the judge. Again, from the Pharaoh's perspective, who is your God? Oh my God is the creator of the universe. My God is the Father of all. He is the lawmaker, the one who brings down commandments. He is the king. He is the ruler of all those who would obey him, and he is the judge of all creation. And you, if, if Pharaoh understood that, if he knew who God was, well then, what do you think his perspective might have been when Moses came to him and said, let the people go? It might have been a little bit different, right? But not only... Who is God, but why should we obey him, right? 
it's not just God's status, right, or his titles um, from which we understand why we should obey him. Were you about to say something, Nathan? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, so Nathan's talking about the, the power of God being shown since the ending of the flood, right? This is an illustration of God's power to those who don't know him, right, who don't follow him. And for someone who's been, you know, uh, or for a culture who's been, worshiping idols for so long to see something actually, you know, happen, right? Real world effects of, of a deity you don't know about. That has to be terrifying. That's why it's important for us to study the Old Testament because it shows how God deals with man mm-hmm. and sin and, you know, in all the stories you see how he is omnipotent and always there. And in the New Testament study, Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we see these traits manifested not only in the New Testament but in the Old, right? That's kind of the building block of understanding of how of who God is, right? And then, like you said, we see manifested in the New Testament how we respond, right? And as you know, as we continue to learn, as we continue to grow uh, through reading the Word, we understand who He is and how we respond. Um, so yeah, a few again, not not all encompassing, but a few things that I wanted to mention as far as why should we obey God, right? Why should the Pharaoh obey God? Not only because of who God is, but because of what he is. Uh, Hebrews 1 verse 3, he's all-powerful. Hebrews 4 verse 13, omniscient, all-knowing. Uh, Acts chapter 17, 27 through 28, he's, he's everywhere. He's all-present, all right? Omnipresent, he's everywhere. Um, but not only appreciating his power and his might, but appreciating that he cares for us. First John 4, 7 through 8, God is love. Right? That should also be a motivating factor to follow God as he is love. And then finally, uh, Revelation 22, verse 7, he is coming. Going back to God being the judge. Not only is he the judge, but he is coming back to judge. And so when we talk about who is God and why should we obey him? We're looking at who God is and those traits of his that compel us to obey him, right? His, his love and concern for us, his sacrifices made for us, um, what he gives us on a daily basis. That should be motivating both um, from a, I guess, from a, from a positive perspective, right, of wanting to give back, but also understanding his might um, being so much greater and holier. Than, than any idol or any false god could be. So now I want to turn it around a little bit. It's easy to talk about um, pagan cultures. It's easy to talk about these ancient uh, lands who had these strange uh, idol gods, right? And, and compare 
the God of the Bible versus them. But what about us? And by that, what I mean is, do you understand the God of the Bible? Think about it. A lot of people in Scripture that we see in these situations thought they knew deity, right? They either knew of their own pantheon, or in some cases, like we see in the New Testament, they thought they understood God. Think about in the Gospels, in Jesus' interactions with the religious authorities of the day, right, of the Pharisees. They thought they were worshiping the same God. They thought they were serving the same God. But what Jesus illustrated to them is, you don't understand God at all, right? You worship him in name, but you never quite understood what he actually meant or what he stood for or what he wanted from you. You've built up this image of a God of Israel that you thought you knew and that you think exists. But when Jesus came on the scene, he presented who God really is, not who they had made him out to be. Okay? And so it's not just a question of God versus, you know, uh, Zeus, or God versus Ra, or God versus Thor or Odin, or whatever culture you want to think about, or against gods of Hinduism, or against, you know, uh, God of Islam. It's also about the God of the Bible versus the God of my head, right? Does what I understand of God match what the scripture says? Because I can easily make up my own image of God in my mind, of who I want God to be. And so it's not just us combating atheism or paganism or whatever it may be. It's us combating our own carnal nature of trying to turn God into something he's not. And so as we wrap up this morning, what I want to kind of pose to you Two things is, first of all, do you understand God? Do you understand the God of the Bible? Have you put in the effort to understand God? And it's not that your religion is based on some sort of assumption of who he is, but truly you understand and have studied who he actually is. Um, but also, of course, when we're talking to people out in the world, when we're talking to friends and family members and coworkers, going back to the beginning of this lesson, right, people who may not have an accurate understanding of who God is. They may have some belief in some higher spiritual power, or they might have some erroneous belief about the God of the Bible, or some, somewhere in between. How are they going to find out who the true God is? Right? How did Pharaoh find out who the true God was? Well, Moses and Aaron helped show him, right? God showed himself to Pharaoh through Moses. And so, in a Somewhat similar way today, you think about the people in our world who don't know who God is, how are they going to find out, right? Either they're going to open the scripture on their own, and they're going to study and try to find him, and some people might be motivated to do that, but you know, many people don't, right? Or many people either aren't willing to or they don't know to. And so without someone to let them know who God is, how are they going to find out? If Moses had never gone and spoken to Pharaoh... Would Pharaoh have ever known about the God of the Bible, of the God of the, the Hebrews? Probably not, right? It wouldn't have come up, or he wouldn't have cared. Now, he cared in the end, and we hope that that you know, calamity doesn't fall upon the people we talk to. But when we're looking to apply the lessons learned from this passage, I think it comes up to us twofold. Do I understand God, and am I presenting an accurate depiction of God to the world around me, to the people that I know? 
so that when they ask, who is God, that I should obey his voice, they understand who I'm talking about, right? That I'm showing them who God is. All right. Any comments before we close up? <laughs> well, thank you. And, There was a trait that he noticed mm -hmm. that stood out. Mm -hmm. I think there's also a question probably of what's their leadership, right? Where was the leadership at that point? We're not told of anything, so I'm not, you know, I don't want to speculate too much, but I tend to assume there may not have been. That's a good point. Yeah, 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 that's what she said. Yeah, that at least somebody knew what they were talking about because Moses had to have learned the basics from somewhere, right? From his mother, so she had to know them somehow. So there had. Right. There's a process there. It's knowledge, then it's response, right? It's hard to obey someone you don't know. Yep. Okay. Um, with daylight savings time happening, the buzzer might not be working this morning. My clock says 1016, so I'm going to let everybody go. I don't know if the buzzer is going to happen or not. So we'll just call it. Thank you for your attention and your participation this morning.